Hey, Gavin. Hey, Louie. I had a thought about, I was listening to last week's episode, or last the last episode, and I was like, <laughs> the, God. The last one, the final. The, the, the last episode <laughs> ever, guys. I had a thought, like, I really whiffed it on your drag name. Something came to me, and I just want to, like, say it right now. Okay. She's given, she's having, she's Gavin. <laughs> well done. I love it. I love it. Isn't it great? Yeah, I was I like, I don't have anything for you. I have no, much but, of- I mean, yours was great, though. That's like the gag. I was I, like, fuck. I played it for Dan, and he was like, beauty queens don't weigh in, Gavin. He's not <laughs> He's not a boxer. <laughs> like, and I was I'm, like, okay. I'm livestock. Okay. That's what I am. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Mixed Reviews. We are a film podcast where we take a film subject such as an actor, director, or a mini genre, and we take the good, we take the bad, we look at the entire history, and there you have the facts of movies. The reviews that are mixed. <laughs> the reviews Ta-da. that are mixed. <laughs> uh, yeah, but we, we we do our best. We take two weeks on our subject, watch as much as we can, and then bring it back, and, and we get into the discourse, okay? Speaking of our um, last and final episode, we talked about pageant movies. Um, had a bunch of fun going through the herstory. Beautiful uh, gowns. Beautiful gowns. For, for the first time, movies completely full of beautiful gowns. It's full of beautiful gowns. And so much more. We asked you guys to go online and vote for your favorite pageant movie. And it was a close race, honeys. In last place was Smile with 9%. That was Gavin's pick. Um, I will say, I got a message from someone who said, I can't find it anywhere. And I was like, you got to search high and low for her. Yeah. Okay. The unfortunate thing about Smile is, and I mentioned it in the episode, it is sort of a lost classic. It's just sort of waiting to be rediscovered. And somebody, you know, Criterion, maybe. Winky wink. Wink. All, all of our connections at Criterion. Yeah. We're yeah. very connected. Yeah. Hi, Mr. Criteria. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I believe his name is Craig Criteria. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I've got something that fits the criteria, babe. Uh, but that was a smile. Uh, the queen came in at 18%. And then the top two, okay? Drum roll, please. It was a battle royale. But uh, Dropped and Gorgeous, my pick, came in at second. I first run her up with 35%. And Miss Congeniality, she is more than Miss Congeniality. She <laughs> is the winner, babe. 38%. I loved everyone sending their gift reactions. Um, and just like, that's like the essence of these movies. So both Dropped and Gorgeous and Miss Congeniality are just full of iconic moments wear the crown be the crown um <laughs> it's it's just so both are, are classics and like standard bearers of the genre and i would fully recommend too if you do want to hear us talk about miscongeniality we did yes. an entire sandra bullock episode it's actually a really great episode in my personal opinion and mm-hmm. i highly recommend going we talk extensively about miscongeniality there if you want to hear us talk about its worst sequel you can listen to our regina king episode mm-hmm. so we mm-hmm. we have we've definitely we've doffed our sashes and crowns to yes. get into the discourse of miscongeniality the congeniality universe, the multiverse, oh, the has multiverse. been covered. Has been covered on these <laughs> reviews that are mixed. Okay, don't worry. So that's pageant movies. We had a lot of fun with that. Um, but Gavin, we are rolling right along, um, ever inching closer to our one hundredth episode. Crazy, crazy. But that we still have a couple episodes to go. So Gavin, why don't we tell the children uh, what we're discussing today on this year episode? Today we are doing the one and only. The Infant Terrible, the director of Spanish cinema, Pedro Almodovar. The most stylish fucking movie maker that comes to my mind. Like, when I think of 
Almodovar, I think style, honey. Like, it is style. <laughs> it's funny because uh, my boyfriend is a huge Pedro fan, and I did attempt to get him on the show. He is a former film critic, and he was like, no thanks. <laughs> Have he fun said, with your little I'm, show. He said, I am busy in the living room playing <laughs> my video games, listening to opera. <laughs> 100%. Wow, you really called him out. You got him. <laughs> hey, Dan. Love you, girl. <laughs> but I, I was saying to him, you know, I was v- I'm was, very nervous. You pitched me on this. We've, we've talked, I mean, pretty much since we launched this show four yeah. years ago about yeah. doing an Amaldovar episode. And I was like, his fans, me included, when you when you talk about the stuff that you love, the stuff that's really good and really amazing, it's like talking about Hitchcock. And delving into this episode, doing the research and watching the films, I would say like he is like Hitchcock. I will mm. I would say that he is, you know, it's not like someone like Brian De Palma, who's been doing Hitchcock for 40 years, which is not a slight to Brian De Palma. He would agree with you. Almodovar is doing the type of stuff that I think Hitchcock would be doing if he were still around, if he hmm. were alive today. And he's making these like taut thrillers, these situation dramas, these family melodramas, and these kind of uncouth comedies. Oh, yeah. That other people wouldn't dare touch and he's sometimes intermingling them and putting his own personality and spin on them and it's a fascinating thing to watch because he is so good at turning on a dime making something going somewhere comedic when you're not expecting it going somewhere really deep and dark where you're not expecting it and I also think you sort of have to put yourself in the right place. I'm never say, I'm not saying like you have to walk into one of his films with any sort of like you don't have to do the research to go into one of his movies. I don't think you should go into any movies with having to do the research. But I do think sometimes it helps to know what you're getting into because there have been Almodovar movies that I saw that I didn't like and then in rewatching them for this I was like, "Oh, I I see what I didn't love in that and I was wrong." Right. I mean, well, it's like you can't go into, you know, a cup of ice cream thinking you're getting vanilla and it's actually chocolate. You know, like you you cannot go into one of these movies thinking it's going to be like an easy breezy Sunday affair. Like this is, you know, grab a cocktail, get ready to like dive into your feels because he's going to take you on a journey. His movies are so personal. There's a lot of sex. There's always i think a little bit of elements of horror i think yeah um because he's in, a lot in of that ten- in that life is also horrific <laughs> yes yeah exactly like he is able to take some really personal things and like kind of drain and like i don't know squeeze out all these like tiny little details that are like horrifying but campy and funny and like ridiculous there's magical realism it's 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 kind of nuts i mean i remember the first time i saw one of his movies i was too young to watch it, didn't know what's going on. It was um, bad education. And it, it all went over my head because I was a dumb, dumb baby child. Um, <laughs> I must have been like maybe in middle school, but I was fascinated. I couldn't yeah. stop watching. I was like, never seen anything like this. And, you know, a lot of his movies are just like, 
no one makes movies like him. No one. Yeah, there's many, many, many great examples in his films of that ability to undercut a scene or to add a layer to the scene to make it more realistic, but also very humorous. I think one of my absolute favorites is there's a scene in Talk to Her where a character is sneaking around a woman's house because he's fallen in love with her and he gets caught. And as he's leaving, he has to leave through the her father's office because her father's a psychiatrist. And as he's leaving, the receptionist at the office is coming out of the bathroom and she immediately answers the phone and just says, I just took the biggest shit. (laughs) Yeah, it's amazing. And and it's this very tense scene until that happens. And then you're suddenly like, what the fuck? Right. It reminds me of like in a bad education when like the priest is like doing like the the prayers. And in the corner is just like a drag queen character out of drag, but it's like super campy, basically like responding back to everything where it's like, um, father pray for us. And she's like, Oh yes, please. We need it now. Then like everything is just like, she's literally just being like, yes, queen. Mm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> this movie is literally about like horrific Catholic child molesters and shit. And this drag queen is just like cutting it all because there is just this spirit that kind of he imbues with all of his characters. There is a Spanish sensibility yes. yeah. that is kind of persevering through like Catholic oppression and like the diminishing and, and the expectation of Jesus, you know, yeah. I don't know what the fuck to say, like, literally <laughs> Jesus. Uh, but all that to say an incredible filmmaker, so excited and happy to get into all of it. So Gavin, why don't we get into the rewind? I feel like every time I do the rewind now, I'm giving a warning, just a real quick warning. Um, I was born to a man from the Midwest, so I have very soft A's. So (laughs) I will mispronounce a lot of things, and you just have to blame my dead father. (laughs) So So take that, you assholes. Get out a Ouija board, bring it up with him. <laughs> so anyway, if you want to pronounce it like if you were Spanish, excuse me that I'm so long. Then it is uh, Pedro. Yes, you yeah. said that. Pedro. Pedro, yes. Almodovar. Almodovar. This yeah. Is- <laughs> Pedro Almodovar Caballero was born on the 25th of September 1949, which makes him the young age of 71. Mm-hmm. Um, he was born in Calzada de Calatrava, which is a small rural town in Ciudad Real. And uh, he has two older sisters, Antonia and Maria Jesus, um, and one brother, Augustine. And you're going to hear about Augustine later because he becomes his business partner. His father, Antonio, was a winemaker, and his mother, Francisca Caballero, who has passed away, she passed away in 1999, was a letter reader and transcriber for Illiterate Neighbors, which comes up in at least two of his movies. When Almodovar was eight years old, the family sent him to study at a religious boarding school in a small city in western Spain. They hoped that he would someday become a priest, and his family eventually then moved there. Uh, his father opened a gas station and his mother opened a bodega where she sold her wine. That's amazing. Love that. There was a cinema in this town, unlike his previous town. And he said that sort of became his real education, quote, much more than the one I received from the priest. He later said in an interview, and he said he was really influenced by the films of Luis Bunuel. That is a kind of holy, holy trinity. 
oh. as we said in the Catholic Church, uh, yes. <laughs> composed by Luis Buñuel, yes. Hitchcock, and Spanish. Billy Wilder, among right. others. Right. But I'm very big. I'm a very big admirer, or I don't know if it's the general screwball, this kind of type of American yeah. comedies of 30s, 40s, Preston Sturges, uh, all that stuff. Uh, that I admire very much. But, you know, these three directors, I think they, they are like my three masters. Because he's getting this background, this good education, wink, 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 wink. Um, in, in cinema, uh, he decides he's going to move to Madrid in 1967 and become a filmmaker. Well, I was born in a little village in La Mancha. And, um, and after I moved up to, I mean, I left my family just to do my life. Yes. Uh, I left Madrid when I was 16. <clears throat> And then when, when I arrived to Madrid, I wanted, yeah, since the very beginning, to become a director. It's something that I didn't decide. I was born with that vocation. Yeah. Uh, since the beginning, I, I mean, since I saw the first movie, I, I thought that I wanted to, to be involved in something like that. And, and then when I went to Madrid, I, I tried to, to study, but they were not film school. So I bought, we, I bought a Super 8mm camera. And I started making a lot of movies. And at the same time, I was working as office assistant in a telephone company. Mm. Like It was like a double life, you know, but I need some money to, to live. The elephant in the room that we're not talking about is at this time, Spain was controlled by a dictator. Yes. Um, yes. Francisco Franco. We did an episode on Antonio Banderas. We touched upon this very briefly because Antonio... His career really starts after the death of Franco, and you're actually going to see that with Almodovar as well. But growing up, he did live under this oppressive dictatorial regime. Franco closes the National School of Cinema in Madrid, and so Almodovar had no choice but to become self-taught. He gets himself a 8mm camera and starts making films, and Besides making films, he also starts taking a number of jobs in order to support himself. He's also the administrative assistant with the Spanish phone company Telefonica. The great thing about Telefonica was that he only worked until like three or four. And so he would spend his days there and then he would go out at night and, and make movies with this eight millimeter camera. Uh, so he's able to stay at that job for 12 years. So in the early 70s, he comes interested in experimental cinema and theater. He collaborates with this vanguard theatrical troupe, Los Galliardos, and uh, and he, he plays his first professional roles with them. And that's where he actually meets uh, Carmen Maura, who becomes one of his very first muses. Icon. Full icon. Yeah. And uh, they will have a, a contemptuous relationship, mm. uh, I mm. would say. But in this early part, all love. Hola. <laughs> Madrid's flourishing alternative cultural scene became the perfect scenario for Almodovar. Uh, he was a crucial crucial figure in La Movida. It's La Movida Madrileña, which right. is the Madrilinian movement. Yes. Um, which, I mean, it, it can't be like overstated how fucking oppressive Franco was because it was super nationalistic. Literally, like women were supposed to be wives and that the fuck is it. Like just controlling every single thing and if you weren't being spanish enough you were like gonna get fucked up yeah uh, Almodovar really benefited from obviously like when franco died and, and and there was like this flourishing of like weird kooky shit and people were finally for the first time able to actually express themselves freely it was yeah 
and th- and this coincides with the rise of queer culture. Mm-hmm. And the thing about queer culture in Spain at that time, because it's reaction to this conservative, oppressive regime, it is very much not the sort of puritanical way that we think of queer reality. Like, oftentimes, Pedro would talk about how nobody ever felt the need to quote-unquote come out because right. it wasn't a big deal. It's like, you slept with men, you slept with women. Uh, I found one article where he said uh, he was quote-unquote bisexual until the age of 34. Hmm. It's essentially a massive movement towards freedom and self-expression. Um, yeah. He starts performing um, in a glam rock parody duo with Fabio McNamara. Um, and he also starts working for major newspapers and magazines, um, penning articles and doing comic strips. These are all counterculture. They are certainly not meant to be taken seriously, but they are also very political. Mm-hmm. He published a novella, Fire in the Guts, and kept writing stories, which were eventually published in a compilation uh, entitled The Dreams of Reason. So he does his first short film in 1974, and by the end of the 70s, um, his short films are starting to get shown in Madrid's nightclub circuit in Barcelona. The thing about his short films is most of them don't really exist anymore because mm-hmm. they were for kind of private exhibition. Because he was only shooting on Super 8, there was no sync sound, and what he would do is he would travel with these films to nightclubs, and he would narrate them. That's fucking wild. Yeah, I love I love that. A lot of them are overtly sexual narratives. Um, two horrors or a love story that ends in a marriage is one of them. The Fall of Sodom in 1975. Homage in 1976. The Star in 1977. Sex Comes and Goes. And Shorts, which are 1978. He ends up making his first full-length film, Fuck Me, Fuck Me, Fuck Me, Tim. Which of is course, a, naturally. <laughs> it's a Super 8 film from 1978. And then he makes his first 16mm short, Salome. Salome, you can watch on YouTube. It does not have any subtitles, but it is in Spanish. Um, It's pretty easy to figure out what's going on if you do not speak the language. Who do we think um, Tim is from the titular Fuck Me, Fuck Me, Fuck Me, Tim? I mean, it can't be anybody boring. (laughs) No, I mean, he... Pedro was like, I know what I'm going to do to get this guy in bed. I'll make an entire fucking movie. That's that's either very fucking creepy or a huge flex. So I fully either- wish I could find that film. That is that is another one that's like lost to the sands of time. I'm sure Pedro has a copy of it somewhere. Uh, so t- I'll, Tim, I'll Tim just- like made him sign like an NDA. He's like, this will yeah. not see the light of day. Okay. Yeah. Tim Curry's like, no, thank you. Please. Yeah, Tim Curry. It's Tim Curry. <laughs> Almodovar made his feature film debut in Pepsi, Pepe Lucy Baum um, in 1980. It's also known as Pepe Lucy Baum y uh, Otras Chicas del Montón. It's like loosely based off a comic strip. It was shot on Super 16 and then blown up to 35 millimeter. The comic strip was called General Erections. Mm-hmm. It revolves around an unlikely friendship between Pepe, who wants revenge on a corrupt policeman who raped her, a masochistic housewife named Lucy, and Bomb, a lesbian punk rock singer, uh, played by very famous Spanish musician Alaska before she was a famous Spanish musician. I did not know that. That was Alaska. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Um, the original. Um, I, I just saw the movie today. I was like doing a little research on it. And people were like, this is like his John Waters yeah. moment, right? Because I, 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 as I was watching it, I was like, oh my God, this movie is so crass. It's so like 
nasty. And this is probably a good time to say there are a lot. There's at least like eight Almodovar movies on HBO Max. Yes. It's probably the the one place that has the most Almodovar movies that you can go find. Uh, but this is the earliest one. I want to say they added them a couple months ago. When they added them, I genuinely was like, they added pe- like Peppy Lucy Bomb is the one right. that they. I was like, not like Labyrinth of Passion or what have I done to deserve this? Like Peppy yeah. Lucy Bomb is the. Right. And but yeah, it is. It's it's very early and mm-hmm. and very, like the technique is still being refined. Um, she's loosey goosey for sure. Yeah, she's uh, it's is she polished? No. <laughs> um, is she kind of fun? Yeah. I mean, it, it's it's weird as fuck. This to me is like he was like, I'm gonna fucking rage. Okay, like let's rage against the machine. Like it's shitting on capitalists shitting on boring fucks who like want women to look a certain way and be boring this is literally like women getting pissed on and beat up and enjoying it yeah actually getting pissed on Um, literally what's what's really interesting to culturally about Amador's earliest work is and he has said this many times um they're political in the fact that they are solely Franco doesn't exist in them. They're mm-hmm. solely existing in a Spain that is absent of Franco. He has said that his characters, even if they're older, are are all born at least from Pepe Lucy Baum to Time Me Up, Time Me Down after 1977. Mm-hmm. They they are all the Movida movement. They are all, and he said the the greatest act of politics was just by ignoring all of the norms that would have occurred during Franco and making a reality that um, never just never even experienced him. And I think that's really fascinating because it's political by omission. Right. Which is, you know, so it's not, they're political films, but they're not overtly political. They're not solely about their politics. Right. I didn't get through a couple of the movies, but I watched Live Flesh and I was like, oh, he's mentioning yeah. Franco. Like, it's literally, like, kind of... That's sort of the second wave of Amadovar. Right. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But, like, he is explicitly being, like, this is the way things were, and here it is now. And, like, that whole movie I thought was kind of fucking weird. But at the end, it's very much, like, look what we can do now. Look yeah. At, you know, the, there's so it's so different, um, which you're right. Like, I never really considered or realized, like, they don't talk about the oppression in any of his movies, really. Absolutely. And uh, I did, before we move on from Pepe Lucibum, but you're right. Very John Waters, very multiple maniacs, very that era, that sort of cheap. He said, looking back on it, he says he thinks of it fondly. Um, and he said, quote, when a film has only one or two defects, it's considered an imperfect film. While when there's a, p- a profusion of technical flaws, it's called style. There you go. <laughs> That's what I said joking around when I was promoting the film. But I believe that to be closer to the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, that movie was made on uh, 400,000 pesetas. And that money was raised actually by Carmen Maura. who. Wow was like, I'm really, like, I'm interested in, you, you know, your work and I and your vision, and I want to help you out. And she plays Pepe in the movie, I guess I, I should yeah. say, starting and a long career with him. Well, yeah, we will see her again. 
Miss Mauda. <laughs> in 82, he makes Labyrinth of Passion, uh, which focuses on a nymphomaniac pop star, Sexilia, played by Cecilia Roth, uh, <laughs> who falls in love with a gay Middle Eastern prince. I've seen a lot of crit- critiques of his movies being like, the storylines are so sprawling. There's so many people. And to that, I say, grow up. Okay? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Have fucking I, fun. Well, like, I, it, I think I think he often gets the same complaint about the fact that a lot of his narratives are really play around with time and play around with reality. And you're you're not always necessarily sure what you're seeing is the real thing. But I don't find his stuff overtly confusing. I've no. never, like watched it and been like oh where is this supposed to be i mean i think the one that ends up playing and we'll get there but the one that ends up playing the most with that format is uh bad education which contains multiple flashbacks with people in different roles and then also scenes from a movie but also scenes from a fictionalized version of that movie and i mean i yeah of course that can get kind of like Wait, which which reality are we in at the moment? But I, but it never takes away from the film for me. In fact, it makes it more interesting because then you become more invested in trying to figure out where you are and who's doing what and who's what's motivation at what time. I don't have that feeling of being sometimes blocked. If I'm completely like, let's say, three stories, what I do, and sometimes I did, is just to mix the three of them. Oh, wow. To select the best part of uh, of the three and put it together. Sometimes it works. He like kind of makes a movie almost every year in the 80s, right? Absolutely. I mean, the early part of the 80s, he's very busy. Dark Habits comes around in 1983. He was approached by a multimillionaire who wanted to start a production company and make films starring his girlfriend, Christina Sanchez. Uh, He agrees to make this film, Dark Habits, based off this Almodovar script. But Almodovar realizes Christina Sanchez is maybe not the best actress. Uh So in that case, he's like, I guess I gotta beef up all the other roles. And so <laughs> he he really adds all these roles. But, and stop me if you heard this one, Dark Habits is a movie about a lounge singer okay. who has to go hide in a convent. Wait a second. Does that sound like something else? Something else that maybe Uncredited stole that idea and then, <gasps> and then offered Almodovar to direct that movie? Stop. Oh, yeah. I can... Wow. So, so Almodovar was actually offered to direct Sister Act in the 90s, and he turned it down. Um, he said, I've made this movie, actually. Yeah, he's <laughs> like, I think I made this movie, except in mine there's a tiger and heroin. Um, <laughs> there's no heroin here? I'm out. <laughs> I'm out. Um, I really like Dark Habits. Dark Habits is a little all over the place. Uh, I th- I know a lot of people who find the the sort of all over the placeness of it um, a little off-putting. They think it's, you know, kind of a bit of a mess. I actually think it's so funny and so much fun and then ends in a very tragic way and uh you know i don't i don't think you get that sort of um melodramatic tone shifting or you certainly Mm -hmm. wouldn't in an american version once again sister act um (laughs) dark habits ends up premiering at the venice film festival um and lots of people are like you you can't talk about catholics this way but Um, what about jesus (laughs) and it ends up becoming a modest commercial and critical success so but he does get labeled the 
Enfant Terrible by the Spanish cinema. Um, his next film, 1984's What Have I Done to Deserve This? Carmen Maura returns to star. It's uh, very much inspired by Italian neorealism, but it's also a comedy. It's got lots of jokes about pedophilia and sex work. There's a telekinetic child in it. Uh, he said he took the telekinetic child from Brian De Palma's Carrie, but there's an old saying in Spain, which is to steal from a thief isn't a sin. And Brian De Palma's done enough thievery in his career. <laughs> so take that. Um, 1986 comes Matador. Matador centers around the relationship between a former bullfighter and a murderous female lawyer. And both of them finding sexual fulfill- fulfillment through the acts of murder. This Matador through murdering uh, bulls and her through actually murdering people. Um, we love murder. Okay. So. <laughs> um, it definitely draws from a lot of the sort of natural style of some of his earlier stuff and certainly from the humor but this is the first one that starts to feel real dark like Uh starts to move heavily into the darker thing Antonio Banderas is in it playing the role of Angel who is a man who um, after he attempts to rape somebody falsely confesses to a bunch of murders because he is psychically seeing them of course Um, and uh his religious mother and I mean, there's so many different other people in it. What I liked about this movie, and there's tons of references to older films in this film essentially. But what I liked is it it really reminded me of like an Italian giallo film. It had a lot of those like really, I think it's where he first starts really moving towards really striking colors. I mean, he's not quite there yet. We'll get there with women on the nervous breakdown, but it really has that same really stylistic, that intrigue, that sort of the way it burns. We are maybe, what, six-ish movies into his career, and like we're already seeing this pattern of returning to um, themes and motifs of sex, yeah. uh, you know, and especially like forbidden sex, identity, and and this idea of like who you are, who you can be both. Both like internally, but also literally the external as well. He has things that he like wants to kind of talk about and consider. Obviously, there's always women front and center. Yes, in these movies, um, but like religion is always kind of looming around. And and these are themes that he's mining from his real life. We mm-hmm. mentioned that he went to a religious school where he had they wanted a, him to be a priest. They wanted him to be a priest, and he had these relationships with these priests that were not great and the implication there is whatever you want to read into it but has he said anything like specific or no he i was watching a speech with him today where he was talking about like really toxic relationships that he dealt with in um bad education Mm -hmm. and and like how that came from his childhood so yeah yeah i mean yeah, I mean, like, I'm not surprised, especially what we yeah. know now. Like, you know, there that that is like factual. Like that yes. happened, happens, um, and I can only imagine, especially if he was there under the Franco rule, where these fucking priests could do anything they wanted to, like literally anything. No one was clocking them. No one was making them do anything. Um, and so all we can say is, like, you know, thank God he made it out alive, and he's making art from his you know, trauma and situation. And what's interesting too, is the other thing that fascinates him about the religious aspect of his upbringing is 
that Spain has uh, both a habit of taking from both of the religious text and what would be considered sort of pagan idolatry. Mm. And he talks about how, you know, people talked about ghosts and people yeah. talked about psychic stuff. And and so that is outside religion, but because society was so religious and the society that he was specifically growing up in, it got funneled into those elements of life for him. And I do want to bring up, too, the other element that he keeps taking from his childhood, as you mentioned, is women. He said he was constantly surrounded by these women in, in the village he grew up in, in town, uh, that scene in Pain and Glory that begins the movie with them washing clothes in the river, uh-huh. it comes from his childhood. Viene de esos patios. Ellas no sabían que había una persona muy pequeña mirando eh, y oyendo y que aquello iba a ser de una enorme influencia para mí. Gracias a ellas. There were a huge influence on my films. You have to remember that there was no nannies in those days. So my mother, your mother, would take you with you. And if they couldn't, you'd be left with neighbours. So my education, both as a person and as a filmmaker, came from these women. Men would appear in the evening, you know, late. They were symbols that you had very little pragmatic relationship with. So those patios in La Mancha, where these women would talk, where they would sew, where they would work, where they would tell stories. And they told stories of terrible things that would happen within the community, of suicides, of people who uh, would throw themselves into the well, for example, of unwanted pregnancies. Terrible things. These were terrible things for a young boy of four or five to listen to. But I would hear them. I would hear them sing about about life. And those stories um, are are, are around the origin of fiction. Uh, Those stories became very, very influential to me in terms of how uh, how, uh, I craft and and, and make my films. And those stories of the terrible things that happen in the village, I folded into films like Volver. So the education I had in, the, in, in the, the patio in La Mancha, listening to my mother and those women uh, as a small person watching and being part of that has been a huge influence on me as a human being and as a filmmaker. Right, and a lot of those like taboo subjects where it's like, it is so taboo, like, like you said, uh, you know, incest, pedophilia, you know, the divine, but also like kind of breaking down the divine, like it is taboo, but like he's coming from a place where it's like, no, I, I heard people talking about this. This was yeah. part of my childhood. And so it's kind of like bringing that to the forefront of being like, yeah, young women are raped by their fathers and, you know, have children. Um, you know, there are cousins who end up to get like, this is like stuff that does happen. And even though it's taboo and like um, very fucked up, it's reality, even though he is making movies that I would say are not like, realistic he's taking these like these real situations but putting them making them into the absurd and like also showing us that like life is absurd and what's interesting too about those things about those taboo subjects oftentimes people consider the crime is talking about them and not the actual act of right which is the real crime yeah there's this gross conflation with oh you shouldn't talk about that right why are you showing this why why why, why would you do that where you shouldn't be mad at the person exposing that you should be mad 
that it happened. Right. Like, after a bad education came out, it wasn't like, we need to fucking investigate the Catholic Church. Right. You know, or... I mean, on all of his movies, when these, like, literally pick a movie and there's a man trying to fucking rape someone. Yes. Like, there is no, like, internal, like, thought process of, like, oh, the men in Spain need to fucking, like, figure <laughs> their shit out. But, like, it, there's, it's just, like, oh, my God, what a horrible movie for, like, showing this. It, it's funny. I did find an interview with him where he was talking to the interviewer and the interviewer kept being, like, oh, you know, this European, is, is this, like, a European sensibility about sex? And he's, like... He's like, I don't know if it's a European sensibility about sex, but it's the Spanish. You know, well, my movies are Spanish and in in any case, very personal, because it, it doesn't mean that, you know, Spain is like that. Spain is something very special compared to the other countries. I mean, Spain, for example, is at the opposite of what you can imagine to England, to to Germany. I mean, we are close to Italy, but this is something very special in, in, in Europe. Um, I, I don't know, we can't talk about an European sensibility. Mm. Uh, but what is true is that we work there in a different way and so on. In 87, he follows Matador with Law of Desire. And Law of Desire is his first, like, full on, he, like, he creates it top to bottom. Because what happens is, is he strikes out with his brother, Augustin Amadovar, who I mentioned earlier. And they start a production company called El Deseo, Desire. And... He's essentially what they're doing is they're solidifying the fact that Pedro Almodovar will make movies on his terms and right. on his terms alone. He is not going to be responsible to a financier. He's not going to be responsible to a movie studio that doesn't give him final cut. He will make the movies the way that he wants to. And because of this, Law of Desire becomes sort of his first kind of adult, more serious uh, sexual melodrama. It's a film about a complicated love triangle between a gay filmmaker, uh, his trans sister, played by Carmen Maura, and a repressed, murderously obsessed stalker, played by Antonio Banderas. Um, he has said this is his favorite role Antonio has ever played. Wow. Um, and in presenting this love triangle, he really wants to inject this film with a Spanish sensibility about queerness mm. uh, oftentimes you see pedro almodovar addressed solely as a gay filmmaker he takes umbrage with this because he's not just solely a gay filmmaker he is a is a human being who makes movies about many people but in this particular case this is a movie in which there are gay characters in society but society isn't about like it's not about shaming them it's not about uh, they have to come out, and like, it's a whole thing. And Tony right. Banderas, when he first meets uh, this filmmaker, he's like, oh, I don't have sex with men. And then he just goes home with him. <laughs> and it, and it's this very sort of liberated um, way of, of dealing with these sexual issues. Of course, things go off the rails. But Law of Desire, very beautiful movie. Um, it made its premiere at the Berlin Film Festival in 1987, and it won the festival's first ever Teddy Award, which recognizes achievement in LGBT cinema. And it becomes a huge art house hit. Which sets him up for the big one. Yes, 1988's Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown. This becomes his first critical and commercial success internationally. And it's um, screwball comedy inspired by the films of of like George Cukor or Billy Wilder. And it's uh, essentially, it's about a woman, Peppa, uh, who 
is abruptly abandoned by her married boyfriend. And over two days, she frantically tries to track him down and discovers secrets about him and realizes that she doesn't fucking care about him over this. Um, but it is a very quick dialogue, very fast, lots of characters in and out. Feels kind of like a Neil Simon play. A lot of people slamming doors. There is drugged gazpacho, which gazpacho. many people drink and many people pass out. Tomate. Pepino, pimiento, cebolla, una puntita de ajo, aceite, sal, vinagre, pan duro y agua. El secreto está en mezclarlo bien. This is the first film of his that contains another one of the Almodovar women, Rossi de Palma, who is oh, just, yeah. just a face. I love uh-huh. I love Rossi de Palma. Totally. Gorgeous. She she's since become a model, but she has maybe the most striking face in all of cinema. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, it's funny and frantic and uh over the top and silly and I will say some of these gals I was like we need to turn it down. We are <laughs> on a 12 at all. Like I've seen this movie before. I saw it again. And it, I will say Carmen Maura is very good here. Like she is on the verge of a nervous <laughs> breakdown. The success of this movie truly is just like these women on top of women on top of women and the intersections that you don't see coming th- throughout all of them. Um, and it's just intensely funny. Um, and And also this to me is the first time you really see the what you think now of is the classic Almodovar um, eye. It's yes. bright colors. It is um, patterns everywhere it's from things that are so mundane. Like the telephone is beautiful. You know, <laughs> the lamps are beautiful. Like it's just like he, I don't know who the fuck does his set designing, but like it is always just so striking, so beautiful, and it really starts here with this movie. So one of his earliest partnerships with Jose Luis Alcain, who is a cinematographer, and he really, you know, brings that saturation into it. The, the, you know, I, I believe in the, uh, in the Antonio Banderas episode, we said, you know, or I said specifically, Almodovar owns the color red. Everybody else yes. is simply just renting it. Correct. And and that's really, you know, the reds, the blues, the yellows, all those primary colors are there. I say this as a colorblind person. They're so striking. <laughs> um, and it's it's just fascinating to look at. But it becomes a hit in the U.S. and makes over $7 million here alone. And suddenly he becomes you know, a name in the American audiences. It wins five Goya Awards, which are essentially Spain's Oscars. And it's nominated for Best Foreign Language Picture at the BAFTAs and the Golden Globes. He gets his first nomination for Best Foreign Language Film at the Oscars. Casual, no big deal. And like a million years later, they would uh, make it into a musical. Yes. She was kind of a flop, but... Sorry, um, Patty 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 LaBone. Also, the film has Chus Lampreis in it, who has another great face if you look her up she unfortunately passed away in 2016 um so how do you follow up a huge hit like that um overseas and in your country you uh make a film called tie me up tie me down or atame 
if you will, um, which is, uh, we talked about in our Antonio Banderas episode, it's about a, a psychiatric patient who kidnaps a porn star um, in order to make her fall in love with him. This is the first movie that he does with Victoria Abril, who yes. kind of becomes one of the new faces of uh, Adam Lovato's universe. I was watching uh, High Heels last night, and I was like, she has such a tiny head, but such <laughs> enormous lips and enormous eyes. She's kind of a cartoon character, um, but it, it's truly just like it gives her the ability to emote so well. She's so good. At the end of Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown, Carmen Maura and Almodovar have a huge falling out, and they won't work again together for 18 years. And we'll get to that later. But that was essentially the end of their relationship for a very long time. Do um, we know why they, they fought? I it seems that he's not the easiest director to work with I will say if you're an actor um it sounds like he's very into rehearsing very into you doing it exactly the way um he wants you to do I for as much as I love Almodovar I do think combative directing is not the way to go I don't think you should right. make anybody on set uncomfortable or stressed out but I understand it, and he is an artist, so like I can't knock him for his process. The director should be a, a friend, a, a boyfriend, or even girlfriend, or a father, mother, a psychiatrist, and sometimes should be an executioner. It should be, and they are, and we are always a mirror for the actors. But it, it sounds like it, it's personal issues based off of, of that. Right. Um, I just saw here that it received an X rating in the yes. US, um, but then was replaced with an NC-17 later, I guess. Yeah. Uh, which Well, that's because we got rid of the X, so. Right, X no longer exists, right? But, like, is this movie more intense and aggressive than, like, seeing a billion bloodied bodies being blown up in a war movie? I don't think so. It's like, what? The- Who can never be sure? Right. The, the movie <laughs> features a pretty aggressive but also very silly and funny masturbation scene i guess is probably what they're upset about yeah she's literally in a tub and like a little scuba diver a toy oh yes kind of bumping up against her puss yeah fun Um, who hasn't done that hello (laughs) let's go deep sea diving High Heels, his next film in 1991. It's funny. I th- I feel like this era from like 1991 until like 97 is sort of known amongst the Almodovar fans as like the lesser period. I still think there's some really good stuff in here. Um, High Heels being one of them. High Heels came to him from the story he read about a newscaster confessing to a murder on air. He writes a whole movie about it, but he decides to make it a mother-daughter melodrama basing it off of the likes of Stella Dallas and Mildred Pierce and Imitation of Life and Autumn Sonata, which he actually references in the movie. This is maybe one of the first big, like, actually referencing a film Mm. in his film. One of the other things about Almodovar films, especially when you move into the late 80s, early 90s, is they start to feel like musicals, but they're not. Right, they, right. You constantly feel like, wow, these characters could really burst into song at any moment. And I think the closest he's gotten is there is a dance number in the middle of High Heels in a women's prison. The women's prison, which, by the way, I was like, they're wearing whatever they want. They're yep. looking cute. The lead dancer 
is just like 10 feet tall, gorgeous. Oh, she is she's amazing. And actually, I believe this is his first film with her, Bibiana Fernandez, or BB Fernandez. Um, she is a trans woman and just beautiful, beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. I think I'm less uh, hot on this movie than you are. Um, but the scene where Rebecca and her mother, Becky, are like, there's the monologue there at this in the, in the courthouse talking about like where she kind of spills it all. Yeah, the she's like, sonata of it all. She's just like, I've been in your fucking shadow, and the, I had one thing, and it was this guy, and like you, and she is giving it everything, and I was like, she's fucking good. Um, <laughs> I was there, there's like a drag queen situation in this movie as well, um, and like identities, hidden mystery. Oh yeah, that stuff I'm not the world's biggest fan of. I'll be honest. I, I clocked it immediately. Like so, oh, it's not difficult. Yeah, I, know, I was. I was like, <laughs> which oh, is not her. <laughs> which is not me saying you weren't smart, but like, yeah, I was like, no, I was just like, <laughs> for a lot of his movies, the the mysteries and complexities are fun to get through, yeah. and like you never really could guess what's gonna happen with this. I was like, oh, so, and then, okay, yeah. <laughs> 1993 gets his sort of return to comedy after doing this melodrama that is High Heels with Kika, which is about this, uh, like, clueless makeup artist who finds herself in this tangled web of this American writer and his son, his stepson's lives. Kika's not great. There's, um, like, an eight-minute-long rape scene in it that's played for comedy. It's very hard to watch. I mean, he's attempting to create commentary about media and how the media like doesn't prioritize victims in that scene specifically but it doesn't it a lot of it falls flat um it feels very exploitative we'll move on uh 1995's flower my secret which moves back into melodrama is about a romance author who's decided she can no longer write romances her she's in a loveless marriage she's written a new book about a woman who has murdered her husband after he attempted to rape their daughter and is hiding the body in an icebox. Okay, well, that seems familiar. Yes, exactly. So that'll come back. Um, and I really liked Flower of My Secret. Once again, it's considered sort of lesser Almodovar. Flower of My Secret really felt like a dry run for pain and glory. It mm. deals with a lot of similar things. And the main character, uh, played by Marissa Paradis, it's almost like 20 years before he made Paid and Glory, he was still finding a way to, like, tell his story right. through women. Mm. And using a woman protagonist instead of using himself. 1997 brings Live Flesh, which is Almodovar's first uh, adaptation of, off of a novel of the same name. Uh, it's about a man who's sent to prison after crippling a police officer and he's seeking redemption after being released years later redemption um, through fucking yeah <laughs> uh it's the first movie in which we get penelope cruz and an almodovar movie we see javier bardem upgraded from bit player in high heels yes to being the, i one clocked of the, him yeah he's the cameraman yeah. Um, being one of the lead officers in this film the officer who's actually paralyzed by a bullet um uh, I don't love. I don't have any particular love for this movie. I actually think it's. Um, I don't think it's plotted very well. In 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 all honesty, and I also don't. I think it's his ugliest film. 
I'll I'll even say that. It's like lots of browns. It's it's that period in which everybody was like Europe is brown. Yeah. <laughs> and I was yeah. like, "What?" He and chose, I guess, uh, like he was like cuz it's weird cuz sometimes people it's the same thing with like Florida, right? Like sometimes it's like, "Ooh, Miami and beaches and like it's so tropical." And then other times it's like, "No, it's fucking trash." So I feel like <laughs> Spain is similar in that way. Sometimes it's like, "Ooh, gorgeous, like the Iberian coast, like water sparkling." And then like in this movie it's like, "No, it's Madrid and it's trash." <laughs> exactly, exactly. I would say the best thing in that movie is the 10-minute opening sequence with Penelope Cruz giving birth to a baby on a bus yeah also um the the her son who you see later in life who is the one that goes to prison um he's played by an actor liberto raval very hot oh beautiful beautiful in 1999 all about my mother is a movie that revolves around a woman named manuela played by cecilia roth her teenage son esteban is killed by a car accident and in grief she decides to try and track down um, Esteban's trans mother, who she had him with, and she wants to notify her about the death of the son that she never even knew she had. Mm-hmm. Um, and on this course of trying to find her, she encounters an old friend um, and meets up with a pregnant nun played by Penelope Cruz and also ends up befriending an actress who is actually the woman that her son was attempting to get an autograph from when he was killed by a hit-and-run driver. This movie is... Yeah. Next level. Sounds complicated, right? But honestly, it's not. It's gorgeous. It is melodrama, but it's also comedy. It's camp. It is high camp. Everybody is so fucking good in this movie. Cecilia Roth, especially... She's just really amazing and giving it her all and just very emotional. This movie, I think, really begins a lot of the, like, he's really interested in, like, autonomy over your body. Yeah. And, you know, he obviously has a lot of trans friends and he was really big into the queer community. And if anyone has seen Veneno, like, knows how important, like, culturally, like, you know, the trans uh, community was in Spain for, for the underground uh, indie um, community and queer culture and like he as we're getting to the new millennium in the 2000s a lot of his movies um, not only include trans people because they've been in his films before but are yeah. talking about like you know the idea of like modifying your body for purposes like not only like because I want to be this person but also um, like but turn that into horror, but then turn that into comedy, but turn that like, so there's a lot of this idea of like, you know, your hair changes who you are, your breasts change who you are, your ass, like everything. And, and that your identity, it's really like this huge fuck you to gender. And like your identity just has nothing to do with your body. Right. Like it's just, it's kind of like a mind fuck just because he's taking the idea of like transness to like an extreme level it's not just trading your body to be someone else it's like trading your entire life it's this rubik's cube of just like it's really easy to like just kind of get high or drunk on one of these movies and be like fuck whoa like <laughs> um but this movie i mean this movie's gorgeous and beautiful and he i mean oh god one of my favorite scenes in the film, because a lot of the film also takes place surrounding a performance of Streetcar Named Desire. And at one point, 
the show can't go on that evening. And Agrado takes to the stage to tell her life story. And it's funny and it's dark. And she culminates this story with her personal philosophy, which is you get to be more authentic the more you become like what you dreamed of yourself. Fuck me up. Literally, like, sit with that. Just the idea of, like, becoming your authentic self, breaking out of, like, expectation, saying fuck you to society. And and also, I mean, it's it's just a beautifully made movie. Uh, it opens the 1999 Cannes Film Festival. Amadovar wins both Best Director and one of the jury prizes. Critical reception is huge, gets 67 million worldwide. It's also accordingly received more awards and honors than any other film in the Spanish motion picture industry. Mm -hmm. Um, It gets him his first Academy Award for Best Foreign Language Film, which is very funny because uh, Penelope Cruz and Antonio Banderas present it to him, and they actually have to drag him off stage as they start to, like, play him off. Well, excuse me. Thanks, thanks to Sony Classic, because really they believe a lot in in our movie. Well, I'm very quick anyway, and of course, to my brother, and to all of us, and to all Spanish people. He gets the Golden Globe in the same category, the BAFTA Awards for Best Direction and Best Film Not in English Language, as well as six Goya Awards in Spain. And he follows that up in 2002 with Talk to Her. He comes up with this idea for Talk to Her after he reads a story about a woman in a coma in New York who ends up giving birth. Uh, Turns out that a uh, orderly had sexually assaulted her. Um, and he changes that in this film to an actual nurse. It's about two men who strike up a friendship. One, a nurse who is taking care of a dancer who has been in a vegetative coma. And this other man whose girlfriend was a matador who, after being gored by a bull, goes into a coma and is pronounced brain dead. And they form a friendship at the hospital. As I mentioned, the nurse ends up sexually assaulting his patient. And what happens from there? It's not the world's easiest film. It Mm. does manage to deal with its subject matter both in a dramatic way, in an occasional funny way, and an occasional experimental film way. There's a great silent film portion of this movie that's shot in a very like German expressionist style. There's some beautiful dance sequences by Pina Bosch in the film that open and close the film. It's it's a fascinating movie. I saw this movie years ago and remember really liking it, and then I rewatched it for this, and unexpectedly burst into tears at the end wow. of the movie. It wow. like really affected me. And I've listened to him talk about this movie, and he said he you know in creating this character that does such a horrible thing, hmm. um, he knows that if he were this man's friend, he wouldn't want to be this man's friend anymore after finding out that he did this. But as the person who created him, he doesn't believe that he can judge his misdeeds. And he said his advice to other artists is if you create something, don't judge it. You can't be the judge of it because even if it turns out to be psychotic, you have to love it. Because right. that's what being an artist is. Nunca juzgues a un personaje al que le debes dar vida, aunque sea un psicópata. Personalmente, 
si no soy capaz de empatizar con un personaje, no continúo escribiendo su historia. Can't judge your children. Hello. Yeah. Unanimous praise, pretty worldwide for Talk to Her. It gets him his second Academy Award, this time for Best Original Screenplay. He was nominated for Best Director. He did not win. Um, it wins the César Award for Best Film from the European Union, um, and both the BAFTA Award and Golden Globe Award for Best Foreign Language Film. It made $51 million worldwide. Imagine. <laughs> uh, he follows that up with Bad Education uh, two years later. Uh, we mentioned Bad Education. Uh, it deals a lot with child sexual abuse. Gael Garcia Bernal, um, who Mexican actor, goes over there. Also another actor who had to spend months learning to <laughs> speak with a, with a dialect, uh, even though he was fluent in Spanish. Um, but he, he wanted that Castilian accent. Two children, Anasio and Enrique, uh, discover love, cinema, and fear in a religious school at the start of the 1960s. Years later, one of them comes to the other and is like, I've written this script. It's about a fictional version of us meeting each other. I want you to make it into a movie. Um, the other slowly starts to realize that maybe Gael Garcia Bernal is not telling him the full this, truth. Yeah, this movie is like, imagine you're in a maze and you get to the center and, you, and there's another maze <laughs> and then you go through that maze and you find there's another fucking maze in the center like this is that movie it is yeah. it is a mind fuck it is complex beautiful um heartbreaking uh i think the casting of gael is kind of genius because gael is this gorgeous live um gender bending like can be very feminine can be masculine i've seen it now like three times and i i i love it i think it's yeah. just like it's quintessential and it's super fucking gay super um campy but also it's like it's like treating this like really horrible subject matter um and just trying to like take the piss out a little bit like saying you know these fucking priests are just human beings um, and even though like it's these characters are dealing with like the horrible things that you know happen to them, um, there is still like I, I love the idea that uh, these kids were like entranced by these beautiful movies with like beautiful actresses, um, and and there is that spirit of like you know queer people who find the romance in life even though they've been like mistreated so awfully by um, people in power. Um, you know, to be able to find like he, there's a moment where he wants he wants to play this um, trans character, and just to like kind of a note, a lot of in Spain, like tr especially at the time, transvestites was interchangeable with drag queens. Yeah, it's funny because uh, at around the time of All About My Mother, the Spanish press labeled Almodovar transvestite obsessed, which was like didn't sit well it's hard and i i would urge especially my american listeners i guess like the culture is just different and like the and not to say like there hasn't been like changes in spanish culture about like labeling a drag queen versus a a trans person but i would say especially these movies that are set in the time period they're set in like there was no luxury for that kind of like difference um and so like even when you if you're watching the movies, obviously you're like reading the um the subtitles, but like they don't say like tu eres un drag. They don't say that. They say eres transvestito. Like they that's yeah. That's just the language of 
Spain. Again, if anyone from Spain or Europe who knows more than I do, I'm sure things have changed and um, let us know. Um, But he goes to this drag queen and he's asking like, I want to act like you because I want to play a role. And it's kind of like she is very, you know, like older, um, but just also is like, again, like uh, reflecting back like the love of oh, well, you've got to be, you know, like the famous movie stars in the films and you, the luxury. And it's finding the beauty and the romance, like these beautiful things in a world that um, is not beautiful. He bases this character on Elaine Delon's Tom Ripley from Purple Noon. But also Almodovar was like, well, um, Gael Garcia Bernal is the femme fatale. Oh, if yeah. this is a noir, he is the dangerous woman absolutely he's yeah. great i mean guy is great and it's I, actually my it's my favorite guy i say Bernal performance ever so he is a beautiful woman yeah beautiful um, 2006 brings volver part comedy part drama part ghost story oh yeah penelope cruises in this marriage with this man and she gets home one day and the daughter has murdered the the man because he attempted to rape her daughter and she hides his body in a freezer um, while this is going on, you also uh, learn that her mother had passed away three years ago mm-hmm. in a fire with her father. Um, mm-hmm. She has a very tight-knit relationship with her sister, um, who is a hairdresser uh, who lives right nearby her. She has an aunt who's dying, and suddenly there's rumors that her mother has appeared to her aunt. Yes, um, the ghost of her mother's back. Um, yeah. I wanted to mention really quickly, uh, Lola Duenas plays her sister. I love, she, yeah. She is also a face who we see kind of like in the, the aughts um, in a lot of his movies. She's so fucking good. Um, she also is in Veneno, I think in like the first episode, a couple episodes, she's the TV reporter. Yeah, I like Volver a lot. Oh, I love Volver. It does incredibly well. Almodovar wins Best Screenplay Prize at the 2006 Cannes Film Festival, and the entire female ensemble wins the Best Actress Prize at Cannes. Yes. Um, Penelope Cruz receives an Academy Award nomination for Best Actress, and that means she was the first Spanish woman ever to be nominated in that category. Um, And it's a huge critical success. Uh, It's also noted that it is the return of Carmen Maura to oh, his yes. films. Oh, yes. She plays the mom. Uh, she, she plays the mom. Um, very funny, by the way. And one, once again, this is a drama film. And just to show you the kind of like undercutting that Almodovar can do, but totally make it work in his film, is that Pen- Penelope Cruz recognizes the presence of her mother because it smells like her farts. <laughs> um, she it, said, wait a second. Hold on. <laughs> that ain't no ghost. <laughs> I will say... After Volver, um, years later, I want to say 2016, some interviewer asked Kamar Maura if she was ever interested in doing another Almodovar film. And she said, you know, he's a really intense filmmaker and she's um, sort of interested in working with less intense people. And Augustin Almodovar uh, tweeted at her, don't worry, we won't call you. (laughs) Agustin said, I'm about to clap back. He said, don't worry. 
Pedro, I got it. <laughs> Broken Embraces comes out in 2009. Uh, this is the only film I didn't really revisit for this. Um, it's I under- did. It's like a complex, it's a romantic thriller. It mixes past and present film within it, a it film. It reminds me, yeah, it reminds me of um, Bad Education and Pain and Glory, except I think those two films are more well done. Oh, I do want to mention, by the way, in Volver, um, Penelope Cruz wore hip pads to, to oh, have a bigger butt. Yeah. Love that. Almodovar was like, you're too perfect. You need, you need, <laughs> you're not a, a real drag woman. queen. <laughs> um, it did receive an Academy Award nomination and it was nominated by the BAFTAs and the Golden Globe for Best Foreign Language Film. Um, but yeah, that's, that's Broken Embraces. <laughs> it's not bad. It's just like he's done this and he's done it better. Yes. Um, and and I will say, like, I mean, that's th- that's sort of how I felt about Flower of My Secret, though. I do highly recommend going to go watch Flower of My Secret. But I was like, oh, I've seen him perfect this. Yeah. Yeah. 2011 brings the skin I live in, um, which is his second adaptation. It's based off the French novel Tarantula. He said, let's get ooky spooky. <laughs> yeah. It is essentially his only straight up horror film. It's, you know, takes a lot of references from Eyes Without a Face, from Alfred Hitchcock movies. It's got a, it's got a little Giallo in it. It's got a little David Cronenberg in it. Some early sound like Fritz Lang, F.W. Murnau. And I would actually say, and I haven't seen this around a lot, but I would say some James Whale because it's definitely got some Frankenstein undertone. I mean, first oh, of yeah. all, oh, yeah, for, first of all, I've I've seen Antonio Banderas's character in this sort of equated with Cary Grant in Alfred Hitchcock movies. And I, I absolutely get that. But I also see a lot of Colin Clive and Frankenstein in that like sweaty sort of and like, honestly, that couldn't be helped because Colin Clive was an alcoholic. But <laughs> but like but like in that sweaty, obsessive, like wide eyed. Um, it, it's a truly great Antonio Banderas performance, first of all. But it, it's a film. Um, it's the first time Antonio Banderas and Almodovar worked together in 21 years, not because they were feuding. But because Antonio was having his American film career. Right, because Antonio <laughs> was a Hollywood star. <laughs> it's a film about um, a a deranged doctor who's developing a, a new special skin who also kidnaps a man who sexually assaulted his daughter and forces a sex change um, surgery on her and then becomes her lover. It's fucking... <laughs> I, I watched this... Because um, when Pain and Glory came out, I wrote like a primer for uh, the post and I had not seen this and I was like, I wanted it to get like all the genres. Yeah. And so I watched this and I was like, oh my God. <laughs> like, it's just the body horror of it all. Yeah. Um, but again, this is what I'm talking about, like talking about body horror and... Oh no, please come I back. think in the hands of someone else who has not made other movies about trans people, like this would not work. I it's hard imagine it, it, in the in the hands of a fucking conservative human being about being like forcing sex changes on people. Yeah. Like that is some very uh murky waters that I mean and talk about taboo. He's going He's like, oh, babe, I've made the movies with, you know, trans folks that it's not even about that at all. And here he's going even beyond. And and the idea of, like, uh, punishing a rapist yeah. with a sex change, um, that is... 
and and holding them and torturing them for years yeah. too nonetheless yeah. it's funny i saw this movie in the theaters and didn't like it and i rewatched it for this and really liked it but i also think that there is i i think there is an understanding when it comes to his characters that like he clearly gets the trauma that a sexual assault causes i mean if you look yeah. If you look at Volvera, if you look at Bad Education, if you look at this, if you look at Talk to Her, like he he totally understands it. So he's certainly not making light of that. Right. And he's he's literally coming at it from a horror angle. So like yeah. there are these elements of horror. That's what I'm saying. So he's taking these and, things and, and like the lens for which he's sending it to us. It's like, oh, my God, like this, this, and I that, guess it would be a horror version of an Almodovar film. And and it's funny because I think when I first saw it, my brain wanted to moralize and wanted to be like, right. who am I right. who am I supposed to feel bad for here? And the second time I watched it, I was like, I don't know I don't know if I'm supposed to feel bad for anybody. Right. I d I don't I don't I think we've cast judgment on all of these people. Yeah. <laughs> and but yeah, it's it's an intense film. And it's and, intense and it and it and for like normal movie going people, like it it fucks with your brain because you want to be like, oh, I feel so bad for this woman. Like she's being tortured. But then it's like, no, this is like a, a sexual assaulter. And and so it's like, it's, it is, it is not following any, you know, he's coloring it not in, not even outside the lines. It is on the fucking raw dirt. <laughs> the next film he follows that up with is 2013's uh, outrageous comedy. I'm so excited. Thank God. Um, it's he a said, movie. <laughs> get that shit out of my system. I, I need just some gay stuff now. It's a movie that takes place almost entirely on an aircraft. It's a flight that uh, is malfunctioning and can't land. Um, most of it takes place with the first class passengers. The rest of the the plane has been drugged with a muscle relaxer, so they're mm-hmm. sleeping, mm-hmm. Which, which I think is economical. Yeah. Yes. Um, and yeah, it's an ensemble comedy. It's very sophomoric, and it's kind of all over the place. And with all like the greatest like hitters, though, like um, oh yeah, Javier. Camara, who we see in plenty of his movies, he's in Talk to Her, he's in Bad Education. Uh, Bad Education. He's like the lead stewardess, and he's, I mean, all the stewardesses, they're not stewardesses. But flight f- attendants, thank you. Sure. <laughs> um, they are so funny and so good. Um, Lola Duenas is like this virgin who's a psychic. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, Ce- it's Cecilia Roth is back in yes, this play. It- a total bitch <laughs> and like a total bitch but like a dominatrix yeah i love the fact that apparently she, her character was not written that way <laughs> and i guess a couple days into filming almodovar was like saw what she was doing and he was like go meaner he's like yeah. it's working yeah but it, it does well at the box office but critics hate it julieta uh, his 20th feature film comes out in 2016. It's his quote-unquote return to the cinema of women. It's about a woman whose daughter has left her life and her attempt to sort of re- reconnect and find this daughter um, after almost a decade and a half of not seeing her. Two different women play this role of Julieta. 
um, one younger, one older. The transition between them is actually one of my favorite things. Um, and it's also really funny because I love that Emma Suarez and Adriana Ugarte, who both play Julieta, like challenge themselves to essentially like not interact with each other. Mm. So they didn't inform each other's performance, which I think is really funny because for the skin I live in, um, both the actor and the actress playing Vera Cruz secretly like would go for runs together. And huh. Almodovar even like at one point was like, oh, you guys have the same walk. Well, there you go. <laughs> yeah, I really like Julieta. Julieta is probably him at his most Hitchcock. It's very much like him. It's like if you took um, Stella Dallas and just overlaid Rebecca on top of it, <laughs> and I mean that as like a compliment. Like it's very great. I mean, you essentially get Rossi De Palma playing the like Mrs. Danvers role from Rebecca in this movie. I guess a lot of people consider it lesser Amadovar. I think it has some of those most beautiful sequences in it, the train sequence. It's all based off of three short stories from Alice Monroe, but he changed enough of it that he was like, I'm not gonna name it after it because it was gonna call it silencio but also martin scorsese's silence was coming out at the same time and he's like i'm not going to but he did buy the rights to the alice monroe short stories and it's funny because the book of alice monroe short stories are, are in the skin i live in so mm. like once again connections to connections to connections totally um but yeah i i really like julieta um and then that brings us to 2019's Pain and Glory. Pain and Glory, we've talked about on this show before. It was my favorite film of 2019. Yep. Um, Genius, masterpiece. Absolutely. Like, just l- loosely autobiographical. Antonio Banderas plays an aging film director who's suffering from chronic pain um, and writer's block. And he, the film is filmed with flashbacks to his childhood. Uh, Penelope Cruz plays uh, Jacinta, his, his mother. I listen to many people telling me that um, they don't see my mother when the young and the old mother appears, that all they see, they are mother. And uh, of course, I was thinking about uh, a love that it was cut in a moment that it was still alive. But uh, the audience is not thinking about my biography. It gets nominated for the Academy Award for Best International Feature Film and loses to Parasite, which also then won Best Picture that year. So do you think you could share the wealth, Parasite? Hello. Hello. (laughs) I mean, truly one of my favorite like film going experiences easily of the last 10 years. Just I God, this movie fucking like rocked my world. Like Antonio's so good in it. It's tender. It's romantic. And beautiful, but also, like, on the topic of Parasite, there's a moment in Parasite where everyone's like, whoa! That moment also happens in Pain and Glory where you're like, what the fuck? (laughs) Like, again, like, with the maze inside of a maze, the Rubik's Cube, like, it's like that thing when Manila was, like, painting the painting upside down and then, like, turned it up. Like, (laughs) you're like, oh my god, like, he was doing this the entire time? The whole time? (laughs) I truly love that movie. It's it's hard hard for me to even talk about that movie. It's very emotional. I know. We talk Um, about it a lot in our Antonio movie because I think we both chose it for our five-star review. Yes, absolutely. It's unmatched. And then we also talk about it in our 29-year in review. Yeah. So... If you want to hear us talk more about that, we we have episodes. Um, he has managed to make two films during the pandemic. He made a short film, which is a an adaptation of the play by Jean Cocteau, The Human Voice, starring Tilda Swinton. It's half an hour. It's on HBO Max. It's, you know, it's something he's been wanting to make for a while. It's fine. Okay, okay. 
it wasn't my favorite. I was lit. I've seen the human voice done many, many times. I've seen the opera version of human voice. So I was like, oh, I was expecting a little more. I thought it was beautiful. I thought it looked beautiful. Beautiful yeah. gowns. Beautiful gowns. Um, and he also has a new film coming out called Parallel Mothers, which we'll probably talk during the fast forward. Um, I did want to mention, obviously, we've talked about his frequent collaborators um, and we've talked about, um, you know, the themes in his movies, the repression, the religion, the uh, the queerness of it all. Um, he is openly gay and he has had a partner, Fernando Iglesias, since 2002. So almost 20 years. I have also seen interviews where he denies being with anyone. <laughs> he's like, I he's like, I could not bring a person into this life. I have a cat. Fernando Iglesias does occasionally have small roles in his films, um, but they do they do have different houses in neighboring portions of Madrid. It's like he, that's his main boo, but like it's yeah. not like the only boo. Okay, <laughs> there was some scandal in 2016 when the Panama Papers came out because people discovered that uh, Pedro Almodovar and Augustin Almodovar had an offshore account with about 30 million in it. Augustin Almodovar has taken full responsibility for that and saying that it was money that he was saving to like beef up El Deseo. Pedro himself has said, you know, that's not an excuse. I should know. I should take credit. It is in my company as well. So I, I would also like to apologize, even though he has admitted that that was his brother's thing and not his. Right. But but I totally get where he's coming from. I will. I only bring that up because of this. Pedro Almodovar did come from a very punk place when he began. I would say he's not necessarily that way anymore. He lives in a very no, rich no, no, place. No. He he has a lot of money. And this is not me denigrating him in any way, but I will say the Pedro Almodovar of the of the 70s and 80s is not the same Pedro Almodovar of 2021. Uh, I mean, I even saw some people taking him to task over Julieta saying, you know, there's a scene where she's wandering the streets of Madrid and they're like, it's ridiculous that she would wander around in a daze. She's a Spanish woman. She would be telling everyone her problems. And Pedro Almodovar shot back with that's not this type of neighborhood. Huh. Well, so, he's like, you don't know what zip codes I'm living in these days. Mama. Yeah. So once again, not to take away from him, but I, I do want to keep that in mind when talking about his later stuff, because he has become very introspective, but I think he also comes from a very different place now than he did when he was a kid. RuPaul used to be punk. Okay. Yeah. Like the world is different and these people are different. We talked about it in the pageant episodes. Like, Everything about pageants now is popular because of drag, you know? And when you think about the things that Pedro has been doing and is currently doing, like, it's just very different, the life he's lived. Like, I mean, to to be able to make a movie like I'm So Excited, which I would say is, like, maybe his most, like, kind of counterculture thing he's done recently, like, and compare that to, like, Beppe, Lucy, and Bohm. Like, it's just, like, obviously coming from completely different worlds right well yeah i mean his most counterculture thing and where does he set it first class right so. right it's, it's first class all the pores let's put them asleep i don't want to like investigate yeah, that at all let's not let's not talk about that um oh well that rupaul comparison really hurt my brain but you're I not know, wrong it, you're not it, wrong you're not <laughs> it's like you know i'm happy and glad that um you know these punk hustlers made it yeah um, but we got to keep them to task as well, you know, like it, 
Oh yeah. Lots of opportunities for lots of people. Um, but you know, like people change and that's fine because guess what? We're always changing. That being said, I, I still love Almodovar and I think it's time that we move into our picks. So why don't we start with our one star reviews just to get the kind of out of the way first. This is tough. I rewatched a lot of movies and then I was like, Oh fuck. I, I, I rewatched because I wanted to watch these movies that I loved. And then I was like, fuck, I, I didn't really like... Sometimes I'll go hunting for my one-star review. I didn't do that this time. But um, I did it enough. I, I watched enough um, that I think I landed on uh, a pick. And I, I'm a little nervous. I'm a little scared. But um, my one-star review is uh, Time Me Up, Time Me Down. Oh. Uh, atame. D- don't be scared. Don't be scared. Don't be scared. Uh, this is his 1989 um, dark romantic comedy. Came out right after Women on the Verge of a Nearest Breakdown. Um, like Gavin mentioned before, it stars this ex-porn star who is making a movie um, with this kind of like kooky director, which he's really funny. It's... A very beautiful movie, and it, and it looks a lot like uh, Women on the Verge of a Nurse Breakdown. Like it, it's kind of. If yeah. I was if I was Carmen Maud, I'd be pissed too because literally they remade like <laughs> the movie she was just in, but with Victoria Avril because it looks just so similar, all the colors. Um, but and and there are, there's a lot to love in this movie, and I I I particularly love like just like the kind of hanging out moments. It's really the story that I have, like, kind of complicated feelings towards. And it's hard to kind of get around the idea that, like, this guy, played by Antonio Banderas, um, has fucked his way through, I don't know what, it's like, um, he's at a mental institute, right? Yeah. He's charmed his way through it and is obsessed with this porn star, uh, um, or ex-porn star, and he kidnaps her um he does hit her he it is not like oh i'm just kidnapping you and it's cute like he does hit her (laughs) he ties her up he tapes over her mouth um the movie ends with them falling in love and even if there was a way to show that naturally happening i don't think this movie does that like, I don't think there's a moment for me where I'm like, oh, yeah, like she kind of <laughs> finally like there's no moment for me where they're like, ah, and then it happens. It's kind of really bizarre and fast moving where it's like the ending, even though the performances are really charming, it's like <laughs> the sister's like, don't be a little scamp anymore. OK, you're with my sister and you got to love her. And like, we're yep. a happy family now. And I was like, huh, even it, there is a movie where this exists where like he goes on his happy way without and she's like that was a fucked up thing that happened and like I'm gonna move on with my acting career but he makes her actively go find him and like no I want to be with you and it's like huh I don't know if this like a part of me is like is this so fucking counterculture that we've like turned all the way back around and it's actually (laughs) just really fucking conservative and like bullshit um 
I mean, I'm, I, I will say, like, the, the thing that I like about the movie the most, besides the fact that I, I really do like the stylization of the film, mm-hmm. um, but I do, I take umbrage with everything that you've talked about, is I do also think that it, it is, in a very funny way, like, heterosexuality is a prison, and getting married is a prison, and, you know, it's, I do think it has interesting t- t- things to say about those, doesn't necessarily get there. No. Yeah. Like like, the, like those are almost just declarative statements and it's like, okay, we'll back up your argument and that's where it falls apart. Right. It's kind of like shocking for the sake of shocking, I guess. But also, I mean, like there are one because Antonio is so charming and beautiful. There's a lot of romance in this or alleged romance, but, but like when you kind of scrub away the Antonio Banderas of it all, it's like, wait, no, this is fucking weird and creepy. He's like, you don't remember the time we fucked? And look, look at this map that I made where it's like me in the psychiatrist hospital or whatever, and then I fucked you, and then here's this line that's like just me back to you, and that's my entire life, and I'm gonna take you to my like village where I grew up, and we're gonna have at least four kids, and it's like okay, I... Uh, and so it's it's tough for me. It, I, I think a lot of his movies, he has complicated things he's trying to talk about. And he usually is successful. I just don't think it gets... Uh, this, to me, might be, be the movie where it's, like, all style and um, less substance. I don't want to say it's not... There is no substance here. But, like, it's... it's he misses the mark on this one for me. I, I mean, I think that's a pretty worthy pick, in all honesty. Um yeah, it's I I like enough stuff in it that I I maybe wouldn't give it my one star review. But see, it's funny that you'd say this is hard. I think picking a favorite Almodovar movie is hard. I think picking a <laughs> least favorite Almodovar movie is actually pretty easy. And I'm nervous about this one too because I do think this is a film you, you like. I'm going with 2013's. I'm so excited. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's uh, I don't want to say like that's. I'm obsessed with it, but like, is it fucking fun? Yeah. <laughs> I I mean, listen. I, once again, I think I it's it's an ensemble comedy. I didn't laugh that much. I think there's moments that like sp- spark joy, the mm-hmm. Marie Kondo in me, but there's a lot of moments that I'm like, Meh, I can throw it away. And I think it's funny because in doing the research on this, it's very clear that Amadovar will come up with a concept and base an entire movie around it. And when I watch, I'm so excited. I'm like, wow, the concept is a really amazing lip sync to the song. I'm so excited by the Pointer Sisters. Yeah. And sometimes that's and, all you need, babe. <laughs> <laughs> everything else. And yeah, um, as, as we mentioned before, it's this plane that can't land. And it's this crew of flight attendants. Very gay flight attendants. Very um, questioning pilots. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, and uh, like eight rich people, a couple on their honeymoon, um, a man who continually drugs his wife, um, a <laughs> psychic, uh, a dominatrix, a hitman, and a, a very rich man, and uh, a very strange melodramatic subplot about um, a man who's apparently the responsible for every woman he's ever stated mental problems. You know, I think it's going for big laughs. Like I said, it it never really does it for me. I, my favorite character ends up actually being one of the most problematic characters in the film, sadly. 
uh, which is Bruna, Lola Duena's character, who's a psychic and a virgin. Um, she ends up being very problematic because she decides to lose her virginity by raping a fellow passenger who has been passed out on muscle relaxers. Um, the man uh, with the that's on going to his honeymoon with his wife also sexually assaults his wife. Both of these things are played for comedy, and I'm very torn on that specifically. Um, and, and these aren't the only problems in the movies, but th- this these are the things that stuck out to me because once once again, you know, I've seen him do it before, and and before I saw, I'm so excited I was going to name Kika because that eight minute rape scene is is a lot, um, but I've seen him grow from Kika into you know bad education and vulvaire and the skin i live in and all these things that talk about how you know awful sexual assault is and how it leaves the per- the victims with scars and everything and then to to have these like two larger set pieces and they're kind of played for laughs it's very confusing and i think that's also part of what i was trying to say by being like well, the Almodovar <laughs> that we have now is not the same one. And though he may still have similar instincts, it feels from a very strange place, especially once again, because those characters come from a separate class of people. And so it feels extra gross because it feels like, well, we can just do this because we're rich. Right. It's funny. I mean, like, I'm not, I do not think it's like a masterpiece at all, <clears throat> but it's funny to think about like, you know, the movie's called I'm So Excited, um, which can also, I think, be interpreted as like, these people are fucking horny. There is a lot of sex in this uh, movie. You know, there we have the pilots who there's an entire conversation about like this guy who's like, I'm not gay. And it's like, you kind of are. Um, <laughs> and there's the other flight attendant who like is saying like, I'm the only one on the not on this plane fucking, you know. Um, so there, it's like this movie treats sex as like utility like something just to like take or have or it's such not a big deal he's excising all of the like emotions from sex that you see in a lot of his movies and and this movie truly like there is no emotions it's just fully utilitarian i would say that's Uh, interesting i hadn't thought about it that way doesn't make me feel any more comfortable right but it is interesting even the the newlywed couples on the flight like he keeps fucking drugging her yeah there's nothing romantic about their relationship really you know um it's everyone on that i mean i mean even it's it's all transactional i guess yeah even even the like quote unquote actually that's a really solid point too because you have the pilot who's cheating on his wife with one yes. of the flight attendants. And it turns out that they're, that his relationship with his wife is actually yeah, transactional. And she, yeah. And she's like, at the end, um, the guy's like, no, it works really well with me and your wife, me and your wife, like love this little thing we have set up. Yeah. It's like, just even he, who's like, this is my boyfriend, quote unquote. It's like, no, you're just kind of like the hot pilot that I fuck. And like, it's fine. I don't need yeah. more with you. I don't need you to leave your wife. Like, um, <laughs> And so to me, like the movie is just like, purely horny (laughs) and um but yeah i will say nothing um groundbreaking there i think it is a very good one star pick (laughs) so was there anything else that you saw that you didn't particularly like i do think like there is times where i i had seen women on a verge of a nurse breakdown before it's not my favorite i don't think it's a one-star review or even a two-star review i was just like 
God, I'm annoyed. Uh, these <laughs> uh, see, gals. I, I, I love it. It's not going to be my five-star review, but I I, lo- I love it. I love it's. Um, I got in trouble once for calling a movie manic because they were like, don't assign psychiatric okay. terms to, to non don't anthropomorphize. But it, it has manic energy. It does. It's, it does. A part of you was like, especially the, the best friend who's like, I got to talk about my boyfriend who is a Shiite terrorist. It's like, yeah. girl, <laughs> take well, a I mean, pill. That- that's a, and I love Rossi De Palma, but I'm glad that she spends most of that movie asleep, asleep. because her character was like, "Yes, get her out of here." <laughs> yeah, um, we talked about a broken embraces. I don't think it's bad. I just think you know, instead yeah. of watching that, watch Bad Education. <laughs> I think I think his true other one star review is Kika. Kika just doesn't ever come together on its own, and I I, I don't. It's it's funny because he is trying to make a comment about reality TV before reality TV was big, and there's a, an amazing like weird camera outfit suit type thing that one character wears. Other than that, mostly useless. Do not do, care. Do that, you for wonder, that movie. like you know, for as much as we're like hailing, you know, him and and his roots as in the queer culture, this and that, like there is a little bit of discomfort. For me, being like, at the end of the day, he is still a cis white dude. Um, yeah. So, like, and I think for me, that's sometimes where I'm like, the skin I live in, I'm like, oh, my God. Like, he is saying a lot here about things that, even though he, like, is surrounded by these people, like, he will truly never know. Like, gal, you really got the nerve to tell these stories. I mean, I will say, you know, he's he casts, you know trans people when he can um there are a lot of movies where he has trans people who are not trans um but yeah i wonder if this idea where he's like talking about um rape and this taboo stuff and it's like okay but like also you're a man who decided to do eight minutes of rape on a film like that's yeah that's uh, a little hard to swallow no i don't I don't think you're wrong to raise that question at all. Why don't we get into our five-star reviews? This is like a big caveat. I just want to say that like, because we talked so extensively of pain and glory in previous episodes, I'm going to remove her from the conversation just because it is a masterpiece. I love it to the end of the world and back. Um, I'm I'm going to fully back you up on that. And like I, I agonized over this decision. I think this is the harder decision. Picking a favorite Pedro Almodovar movie is very difficult. Um I I love Pain and Glory. I don't want to be lame enough to be like, yeah, his latest film is the best thing he ever made. And and I do think it is a masterpiece. But once again, I think I think for the rules of our game tonight, yeah, we're gonna put it away. Put it back right. on the shelf. Where, yeah, in the spirit of um, discovery, in the spirit of celebrating his wider oeuvre, um, my pick is 2006's Volver. Um, I saw this movie, I think, for the first time, like, three years ago. Um, I loved it so much. It is the perfect amount of spookiness for me. <laughs> it is mystical magical penelope cruz is just on another fucking level when she's with him i i think she clearly is beautiful but 
Her eyes are just magnetic. She, to me, in these films, is just like fucking from the earth of Spain. Like, literally just clay from the earth of Spain. And, <laughs> and, and because she, it feels so lived in. It feels so authentic and real. And yes, I know she's beautiful. But when she's in this movie... I do not see Penelope, the beautiful international star. I see like this pained mother who is working every day of her fucking life to provide. The beginning of this movie is very similar, I think, to me stylistically, at least to Pain and Glory, where it's all these women who are cleaning the headstones at the cemetery and talking about this tradition. I It kind of gets to like the the Catholicism and the blending of the mysticism of Spain and like these ideas, these beliefs, like there are traditions that we go through and, you know, and the story of uh, this woman uh, and and th- this family, like, you know, burning in a fire and um, the, even the idea like volver, it means to return, um, you know, is this a spirit that's returned to us? The women in this art is so, so good from, the mother down to Penelope, down to Penelope's daughter. If there's a clip, it's got to be Penelope outside of the restaurant and she's singing. It's her, she's lip syncing, but like, yeah, the character is supposed to be singing. It's the most impressive lip syncing I think I've seen in a very long time. Truly. She won the challenge. She won the mini (laughs) challenge, the mini and the main. This movie is a lot about grief. It's about, you know, grieving and, but also it's about taking care of your community. And like, these women are all looking out for each other. I just love this movie that's all about women taking care of each other, literally saying fuck you to men. Um, When she finds her husband dead, she's like, all right, what do we got to do? She goes in the mode. Yeah, <laughs> clean up an aisle nine. Got it. She, 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 it's almost to the point where she's like, shh, shh, don't tell me why you did it. Let's just figure it out. It's just beautiful. I mean, I love that one of her friends, literally, she's like, you've made me an accomplice. And she's like, well, I didn't kill anybody. And she's like, don't tell me. Don't tell yeah. me anything about it. Yeah. yeah. She's like, let's just, let's just do it. Quickly, the girls are like, we're going to boot and rally. Like, we, what do we got to do? And And they are lifting each other up. And I mean, but it's, lifting each other up in life and in death you know like it's kind of this beautiful extension of uh they're cleaning the graves the gravestones and we these women do that their entire lives physically and metaphorically like they are helping each other through like really hard shitty fucking times and it's just so so beautiful if if there is one uh Almodovar film that like it's uh, mm. they're so imbued with the these you know depictions of women that are so strong and so interesting and complex and and this feminine quality about um uh, community and mm-hmm. rallying around each other and and really being there for each other and i don't know i it's funny i'm glad we took the extra day because I rewatch I rewatched Volver this morning and it's another one that like I got to the end and I and I started crying but it was more yep. about in this the economics of the storytelling cuz it's mm. so smart and mm-hmm. so 
well crafted and even for a two-hour film it doesn't feel like it because it just moves at a clip of its own pace right that just really sucks you in and part of that once again you're right is penelope cruz's uh performance yeah um really quickly uh this movie was developed because marisa paredes who is an actress he also works with a lot she was in the flower of my secret she's in high heels she told him a story about a heartbroken puerto rican man who killed his mother-in-law in hopes of reuniting with his beloved wife. So, like, he gets this idea from her way back in 1995, and 10, 11 years later, um, makes this movie. And it's just like, I love that this also came from another woman that he works with a lot to create this movie that's featuring other women. And, like, it's... And, and I love the fact that he heard the story about a man and was like, the man's not interesting. Mm-hmm. Let's mm-hmm. let's make it about the women. Yeah, totally. That's a really good pick. That's a I I'm very commendable. I like that movie a lot, and it is actually on my list of like going back and forth about what what I should pick and what I. But I think I mean, and maybe this is cliche of me because it ended up being his biggest hit to date. But like, I I can't say enough good things about All About My Mother, which is another movie about women Women. rallying around each other yeah exactly and it's funny to be like there's this man that writes and directs women incredibly well Mm -hmm. but in this case yes correct and like regardless of queerness you know regardless of gender he has tapped into something when it comes to these women as i mentioned before it's the story about this woman whose son dies in an accident and she's going to reconnect with her former lover, who is a trans woman who fathered this child. Along the way, in in, in a very sort of Wizard of Ozzy sort of way, she connects with <laughs> yeah. these with these characters, these other women who are in different places in their lives, including a nun who's pregnant but also has contracted AIDS from the same trans woman that she had fathered her son with. Yep. Um, there's another trans woman who sort of is there to be comic relief and she's reconnected with her and and realized the joy she's been missing from her life. And then there's this actress who is a lesbian who her co-star is both her lover and her assistant. And they're, <laughs> and they're both playing the lead roles in this production of Streetcar Named Desire. And it's this intersection of their lives and and how they're all coming together. I mean, the entire movie takes place over the course of maybe three years at most. And it's all about the way these women interconnect with each other, their personal lives, their private lives, their loves, their desires. And it's beautiful. And maybe that doesn't sound super cinematic to you, but then you also have these gorgeous stylizations these beautiful colors, these beautiful performances, these wallpapers. Hello. Pedro Almodovar loves a wallpaper. Mm-hmm. And I I don't know. This is one of those films that you, you can feel is really dedicated solely. And he at the very end of the movie, he does. He dedicates it to actresses and women and every woman and every every trans woman and every person that, you know, has femininity in them. Like... He's like, uh, my heart is open and it's bleeding for you in this moment. And I, I think there's something really beautiful about that. And like, obviously, once again, gorgeous to look at. 
beautiful to listen to. Yeah. This this one is one of the ones that plays like a musical. You're like waiting for everyone to break out into the most heartbreaking song ever. I mean, the scene where she reconnects with her former lover. Le pusiste también Esteban. Sí. Gracias. It's hard to watch because you know how much damage these people have done to each other and the characters don't even know how much. Right. Yeah, it's it's a gorgeous, gorgeous film. And once again, it's melodrama, but it's certainly not without its comedy. Right. And he's so good at doing that. Right, but also like because there's actresses, like the characters are actresses, like they're entertaining, they're giving you like show, show, shows. This is a movie where it's like it's the perfect um like sleepover movie, like get some of your gal pals, um, <laughs> and you're gonna like be grabbing onto each other, being like, Oh my god, like and both in um like gasping because the drama is so good, but also being like, Oh, it's so beautiful and like heart wrenching and it, you'll laugh, you'll cry. It's it is. I mean, the titans of Almodovar. Like you cannot talk about without uh, this movie. It's it's so so good. I one hundred percent agree. I mean, it's it's truly hard to pick any of um, the the so called Almodovar women as my favorites. But I mean, this movie has some of the best between you know. Cecilia Roth, C- Cecilia Roth, uh, Marissa Paradis, Penelope Cruz, mm-hmm. like it, it just truly is an um, an amazing collection of actors who are just giving their fucking all. Yeah, I mean, the, in general, I gotta say, like Spanish actresses, just fucking, they get it. Like they yeah. get it. Like when you think about. You know, if if you are out there and you love the girlies and you do not include the Spanish girlies on that like list, you are missing out because I mean, watch literally watch this movie and it's like, oh shit! It's an interesting thing to try. Um, Amadovar says he's most often than not not interested in tears, and he doesn't direct his women to have tearful, you know, mm-hmm, ex- mm-hmm. expressions. He said, you know, he really went really hard with it in Julieta. Um, to try and keep the you know the tears from flowing because it's an internal pain and it's interesting to watch that because he makes such emotional films and there's right. not a ton of like just women weeping right no Cause, no because he's it's, just not interested it's fighting in the tears it's fighting the tears if anything yeah but was there anything else that you saw that you loved i gotta say bad education rocks my world Oh my god, bad education's amazing. It's it's truly that like I said, it's that period, you know. I it's like all about my mother, talk to her, bad education, Volver. Like those four, it's just like hit after hit after hit. He was in his bag. Like that was I, the the movies are like hot and sexy and beautiful and complicated and just so satisfying in the end you're like oh god this journey that was amazing yeah and it is it really is a journey with him uh i think the ones that surprised me the most um were the flower my secret which i i liked a lot but didn't love but i think just and watching his career and being like oh i see like 
mm-hmm. that he was able to make this movie again and make it better. Um, and then the skin I live in, I was just so shocked that I really didn't like it the first time and then really liked it. And then Julieta, which once again, I sort of heard mixed things on. I'd heard people right. were like, meh, not great Almodovar. I actually do think it's great Almodovar. And I think maybe it deserves a repraisal, even though it only came out like what, five years ago. <laughs> I will say, you know, we talked really briefly about uh, live flesh. I don't think it's like a very, like one of my favorites, but I thought the end, like the beginning and ending of that movie are so much better than like, the sum of its parts, I guess. Cause I love the idea of like this tragedy that kind of like keeps happening, but then he's like, the world has changed. Look how lucky we are. And I was like, God, if that was the entire message, why the fuck did it take so long to get here with all this <laughs> shit in between? Um, but yeah, he's so many bangers, so many good movies. Um, excellent picks. Gavin, should we do our mixed reviews review? We absolutely should. My one-star review was 1990's Tie Me Up, Tie Me Down. And my one-star review was 2013's I'm So Excited. (laughs) There's an exclamation point. There is. My five-star review was 2006's Volver. And my five-star review was 1999's All About My Mother. There's no exclamation point there. No, no. All About My Mother. (laughs) Mother? (laughs) Let's get into our fast-forward. I want to talk to someone about how Volver does not have an English title. And I wonder yeah. I wonder if it's because it's easy to say or, you know, the the English translation isn't as like flowery, romantic, sexy, whatever it is. But like obviously all of his movies have uh, Spanish titles, but Volver, I guess Return is not as fun as Volver. <laughs> Also, Volver is, like, very fun to say. Yeah. So, like, yeah, I did want to touch on, you know, he, as I mentioned before, he has a new movie coming out this yes. December, this Christmas, I believe. Parallel, Parallel Mothers. Mothers. Um, Penelope Cruz. It's a returning to motherhood. It's supposedly taking place over two years of the lives of two different mothers. I'm interested. The trailer is really great. The trailer is very, like tells me nothing about the movie right um, the, the poster also is kooky bookie it's very very scandalous uh, yes. instagram had to apologize to him because they took it down because it is an eye and the center of the eye is a lactating nipple correct um uh, but yeah the film is premiering at the venice film festival uh, in september um which is very soon um wait that's tomorrow isn't it <laughs> yeah that's yes. why we're doing this <laughs> Yeah, we planned this. Oh my god, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, that's so we're uh, very good at this. I can't professional believe this, podcasters. I can't believe it's already September. Kill me. Um, but yeah, I, I'm excited. I, I think Penelope is at her best when she's working with him. I was thinking, like, God, she's a very good actress, but like the way American filmmakers treat her, I'm like, God, they're just like they truly are like, okay, so you're hot. And this yeah. in this movie, you like are this woman who's hot. In the late 80s, Almodovar did get to meet one of his heroes, Billy Wilder. Um, He had seen women on the verge of a nervous breakdown and thought it was hilarious. So he agreed to meet with them a couple times. Um, And he said the best advice Billy Wilder ever gave him was, um, no matter how much you're tempted, don't go to Hollywood. Mm. Almodovar has said, like back and forth it depends on what the thing is julieta was actually supposed to be his english language debut meryl streep was supposed to play the role it wasn't that his 
English wasn't good enough because he does speak English, but it was more that he wasn't sure he would be able to give it the sort of that the translation would really work so well. So he put it on the back burner and then years later came back to it. Um, supposedly, he's making a film out of Lucia Berlin's short story, A Manual for Cleaning Women, which is supposed to be his first English language film. I kind of hope he doesn't. You know, in all honesty, I, I, it's not that I don't want to see an English language, um, f- a full English language, because I do want to say... Human voice was English, right? Yeah, the human voice was English. It's a short film, but the human voice was in English. And I didn't think there was anything wrong with the language there. But I just, I I like his connection to Spain. And I don't want to see that tamped down in any way. I mean, one of my favorite filmmakers, Wong Kar Wai, made an American film, My Blueberry Nights. And that went. Yeah, it's messy. And so I hope he does continue to resist it. He doesn't need the money. Right. He still makes the money in, in out of the US. So in my personal opinion, like, you know, we always talk in this section about what we think a filmmaker should do next. I I'm fine with him doing whatever he wants as long as he like maybe stays away from the I'm so excited style comedies. <laughs> but like I hope that if he does cross over into a Hollywood, into a more American, a more English based oriented that he doesn't lose himself. You know, I thought the human voice was very Almodovar. Did I see that one of the actresses from Veneno is in Madres Paralelas? I think there's um, a wealth of talent in Spain, um, and I, especially queer talent, and I would just love to see him, you know, hire half of the girls from Drag Race España, um, hire everyone from Veneno, um, put them on the international map because they fucking deserve it. They're stars. Um, and yeah, would you want to see him do more horror stuff? I mean, I'd, be, I'd definitely be interested in, but only if he's interested in. Like, right. he's the he's the most, like, he doesn't do things for money. <laughs> Maybe more than any director we've done is more contingent, you know, even, even the Miranaires of it all, like who mostly does work for herself, it seems like, but will also like take a big budget. She'll take that Disney money. Only if he finds the right thing and he's interested in it. There's things in the skin I live in that are so bonkers. The, the man in the tiger costume, just like, yeah, like I, his reference for horror is, completely off the wall and unexpected and and very interesting and so yeah i mean i would love to see him do it but once again it has to be something like uh, you know that and that's the thing is more than anybody else he's really in the driver's seat of his career and he's he's just gonna do like would i have thought he was gonna follow up um his last film with this movie about mothers no right yeah but I love it, and I can't wait to see it. I've now seen every one of his movies, like, yeah. all, all the ones that are available. And so... <laughs> fuck me, fuck me, fuck me, Tim! Ugh. <sighs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I just, I, I love, like, he, he's been, like, emptying his pockets of all the tricks and, like, fun things um, and making them into movies for his entire adulthood, and I cannot wait to see what's next. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Pedro Amadovar, we love you so much. We pray at your altar. Please keep doing what you're doing. Please continue to work forever. 
it's so funny. I, you know, I mentioned up top, he's 71 years old, which is not incredibly old, but there's a lot of filmmakers who decide that making movies is too exhausting. Yeah. Um, after 70, I hope that he does not become one, especially with the frequency in which he makes movies. So, yeah. I hope he so continues to volver. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys, for listening. If you want to volver to our podcast. Ha <laughs> ha. <laughs> you can always find us online by contacting us on Twitter at, at the mixed reviews. If you're so excited, <laughs> you can just find us on Facebook and type in the mixed reviews. If you want to express the flower of your secret, feel free to email <laughs> us at reviewsmix at gmail.com. Why don't you put on those high heels and find us on Instagram, type in the underscore mix underscore reviews. And if you want to continue listening to our episodes and get that bad education, you can find <laughs> so us several places online. We're on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google, Amazon, Audible. And if you do listen to us on Apple Podcasts, please stop by, leave us a five-star rating, and write a little review. We'll read it on the show, and it helps us get into the spooky algorithm. Mm-hmm. The algorithm I live in. The skin I live in, she's sweaty right now. So <laughs> I'm very we're, sweaty. We're signing off. Thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks with another episode. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. <laughs>